Yo, 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 welcome to another episode of Round Ball Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is Sports Ethos presentation, so check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Listen, y'all, I'm hyped. I am pumped. I'm excited because today we have the man back after, dang near two years, it feels like. It's really probably been one year, but it's been a minute. Dear friend, friend of the show, host of the Duncan Dynasty podcast, who's going to come out of retirement just like he will. You can follow him on Twitter at Garrett Bougay, G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. Like the guy's a legend. Garrett, sir, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. It's a, it's an absolute pleasure to be to be back talking hoops with yes. you, uh, my main man, Corbin. Um, I've, I've missed it. And I've I'm, missed I'm you, ready bro. to get going. I've missed you, man. It's been a while. Garrett's been in work. I've been horrible in communication. Anyone who knows me knows, listen, I text back once every two days. It's not great. But with a guy like Garrett, we talk all the time, it felt like, at least every week or so of basketball. And we went through stretches of big things in our lives, good things, too. And it's been a catching up. And so seeing his face recording this show, I was like, yo, things are right again. It's like the Lakers won a championship. Well, nearly. But um, listen, we are continuing our trade deadline series. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But before we do that, we just recently conducted a mock trade deadline. I'm sure you heard we had um, Stephen Bagel and myself do a multi-part series, five-part series on this. We had different guests on. One person we didn't have on as a guest was our dear Garrett, who actually was running the Phoenix Suns during this exercise. And so we want to throw it to you to kind of get a sense of where you were um, in terms of what you wanted the team to do, maybe some interesting offers you got back in return, and what you ultimately ended up doing. Because this was definitely a very interesting mock trade deadline um, that we used all on um, Sports Ethos. Yeah, I mean, the the obvious priority as the Suns was to trade Jay Crowder. He's been, you know, sitting out the entire year, and he uh, he's making around $10 million, so you could use him as, as uh, obviously matching salary, but then the team acquiring him could also utilize a, a player of his caliber, a starting caliber forward with some good defensive versatility. So obviously moving off of him and getting somebody that uh, can help us right now was, was one of the key things I wanted to get done. The other thing, like the, the, the best case scenario for me would be bringing in a guy who not only help, helps the Suns win for this current league year, but could be a part of the young core with Devin Booker and Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton and, and Cam Johnson moving forward. So the, the first few guys I was trying to, to inquire about were players like John Collins and Keegan Murray, a guy that I thought guys that I thought would be sort of a, a pretty good versatile forward that would fit next to Ayton and would, would give the Suns a little bit more size. I like that. Basically keeping in the mindset of building around Booker, but also, I mean, getting rid of a salary and, and Crowder, who should have been gone, and staying with that commitment to obviously contending. Was it difficult to evaluate Was it difficult to evaluate players? You're like, you know what? I think, obviously, Devin Booker's untouchable, but like these players, I don't want to touch unless I get an offer that's going to blow me away. Yeah, I think with the Suns, the the challenge, like, you know, for, for instance, a guy like DeAndre Ayton, he, he to me is not untouchable because he's not, he's a good player, he's a good starting center, yeah. but he's not somebody that I think is in that upper echelon of like top five centers in the league that truly make just a huge difference, um, you know, so I was, I was okay with 
with potentially including him in a trade. But the challenge there was I needed to get a, a decent center back as well as something else. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I found out like one, one, uh, one offer I made included like DeAndre Ayton and a first round pick to uh, our boy, Josh Earl with the Utah jazz for like <laughs> a Walker Kessler, Lowry Markinen combo. Ooh. Um, you know, so you get that guy that replaces Crowder in Markinen, but then you also get a center that replaces Aiton as well. Um, but you know, Josh probably rightfully so uh, didn't didn't deem that to be enough value. I don't think he really valued Aiton as much as I would have hoped he would. Yeah, no, I feel you. I definitely get you on that, and that's one of the things interesting as well. It's like you know, all of us who love basketball who do these mock trades whether doing on fanspo or espn trade machine or 2k or for me basketball gm like we make these trades they value in our head is fine it's definitely a whole different element when you have to um negotiate with somebody else whose ideas may be different it's very much more in line with what you would see out on the actual trade online you know a team you know make an offer make a trade for a player and you're like okay but if this is on the table this is a much better offer but in their mind they don't evaluate the player the same way that you do or they don't value the play the same way you do. So it definitely makes for a lot of interesting um, back and forth there. Um, so ultimately, we kind of have your mission that you went in, into the deadline with. You kind of have a, a list of players that you deemed, you know, that you wanted to get rid of, whether it was Crowder, where you didn't want to get rid of, whether it was Booker, kind of in the middle, like an Aiton. Um, who did you end up reaching out to with some deals, and what did you end up kind of cooking up? So, again, I mentioned I, I inquired about John Collins. I offered a deal, um, you know, oh, like, that surra- like focused on Crowder, Shamit, and Sarich, and a first. Uh, and that was the other challenging thing about this exercise, and it's probably true to real life as well. But certain teams, like initially when I was negotiating with Atlanta, uh, the guy running the Hawks said that he was interested in trading John Collins before the deadline and that my offer was the best he had, but he was going to be patient, right? And so two weeks goes by, and then by the end, he had made a a different trade that sort of changed his team-building philosophy, and now he wanted to keep Collins. So Mm -hmm. that sort of stalled the talks that I had going there. Uh, I made an offer of Cam Johnson and a first-round pick for Keegan Murray. And that was actually declined in favor of what I deemed to be a worse deal for the Kings, where it was essentially a swap of Keegan Murray and Davion Mitchell for Kyle Kuzma. Yep, you were the only I, one I who really wasn't a fan that, of that. Yeah, I don't really think that Kyle Kuzma is significantly better, at, if at all, than Cam Johnson is. And I offered a first-round pick, and he didn't have to give me Davion in return. Um, so, yeah. There, there were times where there was frustrations where it's like, I feel like I'm giving the best offer, but uh, you're not getting that out. Yeah. Um, so then, yeah, as I was saying, my initial thought was to get someone young like a Collins or a Murray to, to be a, a long-term piece. But when those sort of failed, I sort of maneuvered into the mindset of, okay, we can get a veteran that helps us more in the short term. And so I sort of shifted more towards Boyan Bogdanovich of the Detroit Pistons and ended up making a big four-team trade that you were actually involved in. Yep. Listen, for my part, I will say uh, we got some, I got some, I guess you could call it cash considerations um, and a a, a dairy treat to be named later. (laughs) Um, So (laughs) 
I was proud. It's funny because you made that happen because I've been offered. I end up for my part. I mean, I'm going to let uh, Garrett break down the framework of this deal. And this was during the last like week of the deadline, like, maybe a day before, if I remember right. Like, yeah, just a couple days. Yep. Yeah, this is a big splash before the actual end of our simulation time. But I was pretty much set. I felt like I made my moves. I figured I had to cut a person or two or make a deal with a two for one just got just because the amount of players I had on the roster. But I had been offered, hey, do you want to take, you know, um, Boban Marjanovic? And I was like, nah, I'm good. And it was like, oh, well, you know, he's a veteran player. And I'm like, well, we have a team mostly veterans, you know, and he's not going to – there's nothing he's going to do is going to fix the mood of Cam Thomas. So, you know, I was like, I'm good. I don't really want him on the team. It'd be a lot worse to kind of just have to get off him, just keep him on the contract. Just not something I was interested in. And then you reached out. We had our conversation, you know, and we had our proposed off-the-table framework of a deal. And after that, all of a sudden, I was a lot more amenable to taking on Boban. I figured, you know what? That veteran presence is going to make an impact. You know, who knows? Maybe the Nets might have some inner turmoil in the next week and a half in real life that a nice, calming Boban might be able to help. And, you know, I'll get my dividends in summer league. <laughs> I'm excited. Um, but aside from that, let's go into the actual on-the-court move that you made there in terms of that trade. Do you want to kind of detail the framework of it and what you got specifically in that package? Yeah, and, and first off, I'll just say that, yeah, you, you got not only fake cash considerations from me as the fake Suns GM, but then literal cash considerations as Yes, well. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's what I was referencing, actually. No, I'm glad you yeah. saw. The cash considerations are a real quick, like, real deal cash considerations. Now, listen, no money. There was no tampering here uh, that you know of. But aside from that, yeah, I'm I'm just gonna say it, it rhymes with Charlie covered, and that's that's all I'm, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, so I was um I was initially in a three team team uh, framework with Detroit and Milwaukee, where Milwaukee would get Jay Crowder, I would get Boyan, and then Detroit would get a first round pick, mm. and. I was looking at that, and I'd also gotten a an offer from Stephen as Miami of uh, Caleb Martin and uh, you know Dwayne Dedman and a couple of uh, you know and and some some picks on top of that. And so I was thinking to myself, well, like I could throw a first and just get Boyan, or I could kind of work both of these teams and get a little bit more than just that. Clever, so, clever. Um, Ultimately, like the, the the two trades I kind of worked out that, that ended up melding together in that four-teamer was with um, the, the first one was trading Jay Crowder straight up to Miami for Caleb Martin. And then I negotiated it be Haywood Highsmith as the other salary filler instead of Deadman because I'm a little higher on Highsmith actually, you know, contributing to the Suns. That makes sense. And then sure. I got Miami's 2028 and 2029 second round picks. So, you know, I, I thought that was, despite the fact that Caleb Martin as the, the best player coming back maybe wasn't the best offer I got straight up for Jay Crowder, I thought the value with Highsmith and a couple of seconds was was about as good as I could do there. Mm-hmm. And then I also made a deal with Detroit where I sent Dario Saric and Landry Shamit plus my 2023 first round pick top four protected all the way through 2028, and then it becomes two seconds. Uh, And then uh, I received Boyan Bogdanovich as well as the Pistons' second-round pick. So I got pick like 31 or 32 in the draft. So it was I I kind of used the same framework that we saw 
in that uh, Toronto-San Antonio trade with Thaddeus Young, where it was essentially Toronto trading their first and moving back to San Antonio's second round pick. So, you know, I, I thought that was worth it. It's not as if I'm giving up a full first round pick for Boyan because I'm getting an elite second in return. I like that. That does make sense in terms of how you kind of managed the draft capital and the valuation of that and what you're willing to, set, to settle for. So, um, or what you're willing to accept, rather, to kind of make this team there. So, what is now your final, let's just say, rotation post deadline? Yeah, so the starting lineup is the same. It's still going to be Chris Paul, Devin Booker in the backcourt, uh, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson in the front court, and DeAndre Ayton at center. But we've upgraded the backup forward position significantly. Our sixth man now is Boyan Bogdanovich, which is a huge step up. You know, I think one of the weaknesses of the Suns' offense in recent years has been their um, lack of getting up three-point attempts. And yeah. that's something that uh, Boyan is, he's not shy. He gets them up and he hits them at a high rate. Mm-hmm. And he also brings a little bit more of a, you know, that was another thing in that series against Dallas last year where Phoenix's offense just kind of, uh, you know, came to a halt mm-hmm. was that once Dallas sort of figured out all of the sets and the actions that the Suns were running, they just needed someone other than Devin Booker to create a, a shot. And Chris Paul wasn't playing well towards the end of that series. So just having another guy in Boyan who can create his own offense as well, I think is pretty valuable. And then, you know, we've, we've got Caleb Martin who brings some two-way play as well. Haywood Highsmith brings another quality sort of three and D player to the roster. And we still have, of course, Cam Payne and Damian Lee. And we now have sort of a, uh, a four-man unit that we can use as a backup five. If we want to play small, we can go with Torrey Craig. If we want uh, somebody that's more a bruiser, we can go with Dayron Sharp, who is the acquisition we got from you in that in that four teamer. Yeah, uh, and then awesome. we still have the guys we've been using in uh, Biombo and Lon uh, and 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 Jock Londale there. So, and then a, another minor move I made after this was I actually picked up uh, Howell Neto as the Cavs dropped him, so got another uh, you know steady, consistent backup point guard there in case Payne is injured or just not performing well. I like it. I think that you definitely bolstered that bench unit. I think in addition to the lack of three-point attempts to get up, it's rather a punchless kind of bench, lack of offensive juice out there. Now you have a guy who can play alongside, you know, you're starting backcourt, can kind of carry some second units at least for a few minutes at a time. Definitely agree with that. And you do have a little center platoon, and we've seen at least for the most part from Chris Pop until this year and maybe even a little bit with it that, you know, if you're a big man who can roll to the basket somewhat, he'll make you live. You know, he'll make you a living. He'll get you a contract, you know. We've seen lesser talents, you know, feast. There's no disrespect to Biombo, but, like, Biombo's looked like a very good starting center, you know, at least on the offensive end playing alongside Chris Paul. You roll hard, he'll find you. You finish well, it'll happen. So definitely think you did saw it there. Um, my last question, I mean, I kind of feel like I already know the answer to this, but, like, I was mad that I think it might be the same one. I proposed a trade for um, uh, Royce O'Neal for Keegan Murray that almost went through and I was like, well, here I am. Let's do it. Wait an hour or so didn't happen. Now, mind you, Kyle Kuzma for Keegan Murray probably makes a lot more sense than Royce O'Neal for Keegan Murray. So not that mad at it. I'm just mad that I was so close to getting a deal that I never would have imagined possible. And it didn't happen because that makes zero sense. But in your case, what was the most frustrating deal for you? The, the one deal that you're like, dang, like I don't understand for the life of me why this didn't happen. And then I want you to get a little twist. Why? 
do you think it now? Well, I mean, this is a boring answer because you're just talking about it, but my, my offer of Cam Johnson and a first – I think it is way better than your offer of just Royce O'Neal. You know what? Straight, it's up. straight up. Well, don't throw me in. No, I'm playing. You're right. You're right. I can't lie. And it's far superior in my mind than what he accepted, essentially. I know. I think it ended up becoming like a three or four team trade. But the initial framework, the initial accepted deal was just Davion Mitchell and Keegan Murray for Kyle Kuzma. Mm-hmm. And I just, for the life of me, can't understand how that's a better offer than Cam Johnson in a first. Um, the, you know, the... The thing that was so appealing about that for me was not only, um, you know, obviously if you're swapping, you're swapping Keegan Murray for Cam Johnson. I don't know if that really makes the Suns significantly better or worse this season. Um, even though I think Keegan Murray has shown to be a, a pretty quality rookie, and in, in terms of you know, I think he's hitting over forty percent of his threes in, in recent uh, in recent weeks, but. The, the added versatility that he brings compared to Cam Johnson, where he gives you more size. I think eventually Keegan Murray will be able to play some backup five, which uh, I think would have some value. And, you know, the, the other thing, too, is uh, the, the Suns are probably a little bit concerned about having to pay Cam Johnson this, uh, this offseason. He's going to get a, 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 a big chunk of cash. So just being able to sort of move that payment down the line and have Keegan Murray on a rookie deal would have been really nice. And I still would have had the likes of of Crowder and Sarich and Shamit to make additional moves on top of that. So that was the one that I was a little frustrated didn't end up happening because it felt like I was I was right there in the ballpark for that. No, I feel you on that. I, I definitely think your offer was better. Um, listen, I didn't expect my offer to be on the table to begin with, but again, my GM that I was negotiating, it turns out the same GM, valued Royce O'Neal a lot more than he valued the player you had. And that's the reasoning there. You know, I've, I've made trades, you know, in video games that like, oh, why would you do that? I, I love taking a team like the Nuggets and trading Nicole Jokic. Why would you do that? <laughs> I, hey, listen, he's okay. But if I have a chance to give him a league monk and a bunch of firsts, then I'm going to do that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but I've done that. Like the way I play, the way I, you know, the way you value players for better or for worse is different. Everyone has a different. Tommy Shepard uh, is, 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 loves, you know, building around Bradley Beal, who I compared to Cron Butler on a recent podcast. Um, and if you look at statistical profiles, like it's not that, not similar. Anyways, point being, um, it just depends on who you value, the star, who you think is the player that you want, that sort of thing, and and how that factors or colors your perception of another offer is really interesting. So all in all, I mean, did you have fun doing it? You know, are you going to have any notes that you learned this year that you'll take into next year? Kind of what are your kind of takeaways from it? Yeah, I had a lot of fun. I, I feel like I was uh, maybe more active than I think the majority of the people on there. And and I think uh, what what a lot of the negotiation or at least the conversations that that uh, happened that were initiated by others towards me was essentially just like, you know, what are you thinking about Jay Crowder? You know, it's like, whereas I'm coming to these people like, here's a deal, like a, a, a construct of a deal here. And what do you think of that? You know, it's, uh, I, I had a hard time. Like when someone says, well, what's, what's the Jay Crowder situation? I'm going to trade him. That's that, that's the plan. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, you know, like, like, what did you though? We're going to keep him. We, we've changed our mind. He's going to start for us. Like, no, obviously, yeah, it, you were you were coming with actual trade deals where I think you had a lot of people that were kind of gauging and just felt a lot more comfortable testing the water so much 
or so to speak, or inquiring. And then later on, you could say we had a conversation, you know? So well, yeah, our other, our other teams were like assuming the strategy that you were taking without you saying that, you know, mm-hmm. I had the guy, the guy that was running the Lakers wanted to do another, uh, another Russ for CP three swap and said wow. that because at the, at the moment I was, I think like seventh or eighth in the West or something like that. I'm like, well, we're two games out of fourth <laughs> based on how the standings are. And Devin Booker's been out for a while, and we're going to be adding ammunition with the Crowder trade. So I'm still feeling pretty confident that the Suns are going to be a playoff team. We're still buyers. We're not sellers. And uh, I, I said to him straight up, I'm like, well, if you want to come with me with the uh, 27 and 29 picks unprotected, I'm happy to consider it. Wow. There you go. Let's see, but you play hardball too much, bro. <laughs> See, I can negotiate with you. No, I'm playing. We end up doing a good job ourselves. But, yeah, I agree with you. I agree. And it's interesting because, like you said, they, you might think for the purpose of your trade that this is something that makes sense. And it's like, not really. Not for me. Not for what I think our team is. And that's important to evaluate. So, definitely with you on there. But from one trade talk to another, we go from the simulation world of the sports ethos mock trade deadline the very real world of the Denver Nuggets as we look to their how they will operate during their trade deadline. And, and they're interesting right now. Um, I'm just going to throw it to you. What are your thoughts on this Denver Nuggets team? Um, I guess real quick, I can kind of run through just the basic stats because their team has been very interesting. Uh, shout out to Bones Highland. I'm sure we'll talk about him. But they've been a team that's been very interesting of late. Um, the Denver Nuggets currently are number one. In the NBA Western Conference at 36 and 16. Um, they are first in offensive rating, 15th in defensive rating, and third in net rating. Uh, Nicole Jokic has been putting up, once again, MVP caliber numbers, 25 points per game on 63% shooting, 33%, 38% from three, along with 11 rebounds and 10 assists. The dude is doing Russell Westbrook numbers. I can get away with saying that. Um, Jamal Murray seemed healthier in his return to form. Played 44 games so far, 19 points, four rebounds, and five assists per game. I thought Aaron Gordon should have been given all-star consideration. It was just a very, very deep West slate of – or West uh, roster of candidates. But Aaron Gordon, uh, 16, just under seven rebounds and three assists. But he's been very important to the Nuggets and one of their healthier players overall, aside from Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell Pope. Um, Michael Porter Jr. has been playing well, um, shooting at a 41% clip from three on just under seven a night. Like, they've had really good really good play from a lot of their guys and a really great uh, schedule, as you can see, or a really great – I don't know what I'm trying to say here. They've won a lot of games. There you go. That's what I was trying to say, okay? They've had good results. There we go. Now the sentence comes after I adapt it. But the point being, uh, underlying that is an interesting team with apparently maybe a move most certainly on the horizon – if Twitter and rumors are anything to be considered. And so this is just the numbers. I'm going to throw to you, Garrett. What do you think about the Denver Nuggets? What is your outlook on this team pre-trade deadline? I mean, I think it's safe to say, as you said, they're they're number one in the West. I think they have got a four-game lead over second-seeded Memphis. They, they're a legit title contender. I think there's, there's no doubt about that. Their top two players, Nikola Jokic, is looking like he is on pace to be to win his third consecutive NBA MVP award, Jamal Murray after, you know, again, being kind of limited, not playing in back to backs and, and uh, you know, slowly working himself into, into shape. He looks pretty close to what 
what uh, you know pre-injury, pre-ACL injury, Jamal Murray, which is a really good sign. Aaron Gordon has continued to be uh, you know just a perfect fit for this basketball team. And their two acquisitions, the two key acquisitions in the offseason in Contavious Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown, I think they've been perfect fits for this for this roster. So, you know, Michael Porter Jr., you can say maybe he's not quite he's not quite looking as athletic as he he did prior to, you know, just a, a couple years ago. But he's shooting the heck out of the ball. He's still providing that that third scoring element for this basketball team and also just having that size and that, uh, you know, um, I'm putting it in air quotes, uh, secondary rim protector for uh, for this team. So, you know, that top five or that, that starting lineup of five guys plus Bruce Brown, that's about as good of a top six as anyone has in the entire NBA. So it really comes down to with this trade deadline and buyout season, just filling out those seven, eight, nine roles and and getting a team that you feel very confident about come postseason. And that's where all of the the Bones Highland rumors are, are stirring. Yeah, and Bones Highland, I mean, it's been a very interesting uh, saga on Twitter. If you follow, uh, you had first Jamal Murray put out some passive-aggressive maybe. Well, no, there's no maybe in it. Some passive-aggressive shots at Bones about playing time and earning the time and we're a team that doesn't need distractions, trying to win championship, all that stuff, all well and good. And apparently he's had responses from Bones Highland's sister and his friends. Nothing from Bones, although he has unfollowed both the Nuggets and, of course, Jamal Murray. Uh, on Instagram for what that whatever that's worth. So there's definitely been some tension there that seemingly erupted out of nowhere. Yeah, and you know beyond all of the drama, I was curious to get your take on this, Corbin. Just the idea from a basketball perspective, and I'm guessing you're a Bones Highland fan, just given you know the the types of players that you enjoy watching. Uh, but the 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 idea that like okay, let's let's trade bones for another wing and make it so that Bruce Brown is essentially our backup point guard and that Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic come playoff time are going to be responsible for a hundred percent of the team's shot creation. Uh, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts as to just that as a philosophy to win at the highest of levels, you know, basically saying, okay, if we take out the defensive liability that is bones, and add another guy that can be strong on that end, but doesn't provide that explosive scoring, mm-hmm. does that actually make them a better basketball team? I think that's interesting. I tend to, I mean, my basketball philosophy skews a different way. You know, I definitely like those scoring wings, those um, scoring combo guards that can both, they lean more toward their own shots than others that can get them involved. You know, the classic 27, 6, and 7 type guy, you know, like that's the kind of player I want. You know, a bigger size wing who can create for himself. That's what he's looking for. Playmaking from the five spots, nice. You know, I like my bigs to be able to play defense, be able to space the floor for sure. If you have a little passing as well, that's not bad. But to play out of it exclusively, I feel like it needs to be a top tier, which Nicole Jokic is. Like, God at that spot, right? Bruce Brown is a guy who I think is good, but I think some of his offensive creation skills, while adequate, are nullified by his spotty shooting and lack of offensive threat on his own consistently. You know, like he is a guy who is very dependent on others to create shots for him. And now you're asking for a guy who's dependent on others to also create shots for them or in conjunction with your playmaking 
five. Yeah, you know? I think the I think the theory would be he's the backup point guard in the sense that he sometimes brings the ball up the floor. Yeah, <laughs> and, and that's when and Jamal I, Murray's out, whereas he'll always probably be paired with Jokic. So in the half court setting, Jokic then becomes your point guard. I think would be the would be the idea of just erasing well, bones be. entirely from the from the rotation. Yeah, and even if you do that, I mean, we've seen a lot of that that action run with KCP this year, right? More ball handling responsibilities for KCP than ever. Normally, he's running off the of screens, you know, down screens, all sorts of things. Like that's what he normally does. So this has definitely been different for him, but. Again, KCP's at least a threat on ball. I mean, a threat to shoot the ball. You got to stay on on him. You know, he could do some simple offensive reads. I don't think his creation of the Bruce Brown's creation skills are that much better than KCP's. But at the same time, I mean, he's adequate. So I agree. I get you. I just don't know if I'm like, hey, we're trying to win championship. Bruce Brown, like you're a backup point guard. Like I think Bruce Brown can do it. Break glass in case of emergency, but not emergency that you started. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so yeah, I think I, that is what I think's the issue, in my opinion. Yeah, and I certainly understand that. My my other concern, if you just, you know, if you trade, uh, and we can get into some of the options for guys that they might trade Bones for, it, it's, it's kind of tricky because they don't have a ton of, like, matching salary, especially if you say that, that the starting lineup plus Bruce Brown are kind of, you know, off the table as far as trades. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not any of those mid-tier salaries to, to offload. Yeah. Um, but, like... The you look at the Warriors run last year, right? Like Jordan Poole wasn't a consistent playoff performer, but he had moments for them where he swung games, right? And when you rely just purely on Steph and Draymond, sometimes against certain opponents, that might not be enough. You you occasionally will need that third playmaker. And that's what concerns me with Denver is not only like, okay, if Jamal Murray or Nikola Jokic has an off night, if you have a guy like Bones and he has one of those days where he's hot and hits five threes, you know, that can sort of make up the difference and get you a a win when you otherwise wouldn't. Whereas if you have him, uh, if you ship him and and just get another sort of three and D archetype, Mm -hmm. you are so reliant, not only on, you know, Jokic and Murray's usage being really high every night, and that can be exhausting in its own right. But yeah, yeah. If, if one of those guys is off, you might you might struggle. And you also have less offensive diversification. You know, that wild card can sometimes be nice. You know, having a guy who, like, I mean, to answer your question, I think I'm actually not the biggest Bones Highlands fan. I think he's okay. I think he's a decent enough. He's like an undersized kind of, in, in terms of his build, scoring point guard who I think shoots well enough on ball. But I think would need a more a higher responsibility or higher load of offensive responsibility than I personally feel comfortable giving him consistently. Like it, it, he's not a Tyrese Maxey to me. You know what I mean? Where right. you know I, t- I feel like Tyrese Maxey is more of a guy who's capable of doing that. Or even like a Colin Sexton, like who could do more of that. I'm not saying I'd like those those results, but I'm saying I feel more comfortable in those results being something somewhat consistent than what I'm seeing what I've seen from Bones. Bones is nice. But with that being said, you do have someone who I, I call them the wild cards. You know, they're a guy who, yeah, they're offensive minded, but they can come out and go out for 30, you know, in, in a game and really change the complexion of it. We saw it with J.R. Smith before, you know. We've seen it with other guys who, like, all of a sudden, we're riding that out of hand. And, yeah, nine times out of ten, you don't want the ball to be in their hands come crunch time, but if they're on one, then it's good to go. I saw it last year with the Lakers with Malik Monk, you know, a guy who, yeah, they're, they're scoring focus, but every once in a while, they can change the complexion of a game because they're on fire. 
And that is something they can, you know, they shoot the ball well. They got off the dribble juice. They're creating their own shot. They're able to play off with double teams, play off of actions. And, and, and more than, than all of that, be a threat that forces the defense to have to focus on them in addition to your stars, which relieves pressure off of them. So, yeah, I think you lose that with Bones. I mean, listen, KCP's can get hot. Absolutely. He's not going to go off the dribble with the step back three. That's not his thing. You know what I mean? Bruce Brown, he can get hot. That means like three threes. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not like, like, this is what I mean. You're not seeing that. T- you're, you're limiting your ceiling offensively in doing that while also funneling more of that pressure on guys who either A, already had that role and don't need an uptick in that, or B, aren't used to that role and have to shoulder more of it. So I, I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting. But you mentioned potential bones traits. I, I guess that kind of will bring us to our next question because we're already kind of into it. Aside from Bones, because he's there. Who are some other players that you think are tradable or are most likely gone? So other players outside of Bones, I mean, honestly, again, I think anyone on the roster outside of that top six, got those top six guys we, we talked about, I think uh, could be traded. Um, not only for salary matching purposes, I think Jeff Green is a guy that the the – Mike Malone and and even that front office likes, but he's also, I think, making a little over $4 million. So if you want to get somebody in that 6 to $8 million range coming back, like you probably have to include someone like Jeff Green. Um, so there are, yeah, there are certain guys that I think are more likely to be traded just because of the contract situation, but um, the options get kind of slim fast uh, in, in terms of who you can even bring back if, you're limiting it to guys that make basically $8 million or less. I agree. I mean, you kind of made it pretty similar. In fact, I, we can kind of skip the next question, which are players that, you know, are untradeable or untouchable because for the most part, out of their top five, you know, and well, I'm thinking who else would be there? Um, who wants your starting five, right? I mean, I would say I would say Jokic and Murray are there, are in their own tier as far as being untouchable. And then yeah. you've got the the rest of the starters and Gordon, KCP, and, and Michael Porter Jr., as well as Bruce Brown. Those four guys are unlikely, I would say, to be traded because they're mm-hmm. they're key parts of this team and they they fit well. Um, but yeah, I think that very you know, I, I have one trade that involves one of those four guys that oh, uh, wow. um just just as a as a fun exercise, I thought I would I would do one that would uh would uh, get you a little shocked. I like it. I mean, listen, without further ado, let's go into your favorite trade packages for the Nuggets. Let's let's break down the fun. Let's break down the trades. Um, yeah, these, these next two questions are my favorite, both what you like and what you don't like. So let's kind of go into what you like about these squads first or what trades you like for them. Yeah, so um, I'll just get into the tra- the crazy one. I, I don't think this would happen, but um, it's – uh, it's it's fun. So the you know there's obviously been a lot of rumors with Toronto and what they're doing, given that they're under 500, and um, you know they've got a couple of players that uh, maybe don't fit the um, t- the time range of like the the Scotty Barnes sort of era that they're trying to usher in. But one of the guys also that um, is is just a few years older uh, is is OG Ananobi, who who's been talked about quite a bit. So I've got a trade where the Nuggets would acquire OG. The idea behind it would be Michael Porter Jr. and Bones, as well as uh, a first, as well as a first round pick to Toronto for OG Ananobi, Kem Birch, Otto Porter Jr. and Malachi Flynn. Okay, run that by me one more time. I got the the, the framework of the major pieces. I just want to get the other guys as well. 
Yeah, so Denver would be sending out Michael Porter Jr., Bones Highland, and a first-round pick to Toronto in return for OG Ananobi, Kim Birch, Otto Porter Jr., and Malachi Flynn. I like that. So if you're a Toronto, you're selling yourself on a reset, both a guard position and a nice scoring forward in Michael Porter. Who I think fits a lot better for that team. They, they need Porter's offensive skill set a lot more than they need OGs. They need a guy that can just shoot the lights out and, and defenses fear. Yeah, and again, he has kind of that wild card factor of someone can get hot, creates on shot in a way that OG just can't or doesn't. It hasn't shown as of yet. So I agree there. So that kind of takes Toronto out of the way in terms of that because now I'm going to focus on Denver. What do you think this trade obviously gives you between OG and Obi and these other pieces to the Nuggets? So I think the biggest thing would be that if they're looking for, if their goal is to just be better defensively around Jokic and Murray, I think OG gives you another elite defensive option to pair with Gordon, to pair, you know, to go along with KCP and Bruce Brown. You can pretty consistently put three guys around that star offensive duo that are elite, elite defensively and makes them a, a team that I think on both ends would be really tough to deal with. I do like that. It does give you that versatility that you don't usually have. I mean, the Nuggets have versatility, but it gives you the versatility in a different type of way. So I definitely agree with you there. And OG Anobi being a prime defensive stopper, you come on, you have your Paul George, you have your Kawhi Leonard, your LeBron James, your Anthony Davis. Like, I wouldn't necessarily put OG on Anthony Davis long-term, but the point is OG can play on all those guys. So that is something that is potential there from that side of the floor. Um, offensively, listen, play off the Yoke, spot up, knock down a three, he's shooting like 35, 36%. It's not bad at all. Definitely think that's something you can do as well. So I like that. I like that trade. What 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 are the what are the stuff you got cooking? That's that's the big one. Yeah, I mean that's that a big was... one in the sense of moving a player, Michael Porter, who I think is going to be untouchable. Um, whether right. for all intents and purposes. The the yeah, the other ideas I had mostly just focus on bone centric deals. And, you know, we saw we saw some or I, I just listening to some of the low post recently, a couple of guys that he floated. Uh, in in possible deals surrounding Bones would be to uh, the Pelicans for Najee Marshall and then also to Portland for Nasir Little. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts were on either of those, but that would be exactly what I was discussing where it's you're trading the, you know, the kind of inconsistent but uh, point guard that shot creator that has a lot of potential for maybe a, a steadier three and D win. I like it. I feel like both those guys are maybe more 3 and D than theory. I mean, both are shooting solidly this season, if I remember. But just in general, I mean, both of them have like, like Marshall and, you know, Lou don't have that type of track record. It's just the player that they most likely seem to be. Um, and again, both those guys aren't guys like, again, you have to build a lot of your trust in the playmaking responsibilities of both Murray, Jokic, and, and Bruce Brown to a lesser extent. You know what I mean? Because, and what Aaron Gordon brings you, he's been an underrated playmaker as well, but like simple reads, but still, because you're not getting it from those guys, you know? And at the end of the day, I think that works regular season wise, but there comes a time where the playoffs where they're able to limit that for the most part. They're able to mitigate that for the most part. And you're getting guys who are, don't want to say streaky. They're just not consistently very good shooters. So I could see where, yeah, like you have all these wing defenders who offensively could just stay home on, make life difficult for Jokic, and then now you lost your one shot creator who I would try to seek a little bit more for in return. So 
I like it, I guess. It's a safe pick. It definitely bolsters their defense, but I think it limits their ceiling so much on the offensive side of the floor, especially once it shrinks on playoff time. Yeah, and, you know, I understand the Nuggets' sort of desire to have this year be the year, right? Because, you know, you've basically lost the last couple years of Jokic MVP-level seasons because of Murray's injury, right? And you never know what's going to happen in the future. Right now, this team seems like a title contender, and they're healthy. And you you probably can't retain Bruce Brown uh, next season. So that's another another reason why you would have a sense of urgency for right now. But that you know the other downside of trading you know Bones for one of those guys I just mentioned is that yeah, not only do you lose some of that shot creation, but you lose the potential of what Bones can be in two years, you know, and maybe if you have um, a situation where Jokic isn't quite at the same level or Jamal Murray isn't quite at the same level for whatever reason, but then Bones gives you that ability to, okay, but if he's, um, you know, gotten to the point like what Jordan Poole has gotten to where he's the borderline all-star territory, then, you know, that can sort of offset things. So it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. And the the other the other issue, again, with like even coming up with I have I have three more names that I came up with myself. But oh. the, the the challenge of even finding guys is that if you're looking for a wing and you're looking for a guy that doesn't make a lot of money so that the salary matching is easy. They're not going to be elite wings because those teams wouldn't trade those guys. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's got to be a lower level player on the wing. So the the other three guys that I just had considered um, that you know were were possible options here. I had uh, John Conchar for Memphis. I had Amir Coffee for the Clippers, and I also was considering Chris Duarte out of uh, out of Indiana. Those were the other three names that I could come up with. But I was curious if you had any. I mean, you know good and well that I had uh, Chris Duarte is one of my guys. Chris Duarte is one of my guys. I thought, listen, maybe if you're looking for I me, mean, it's an undersized scoring guy. Maybe you can see what you get for him. I like Alani Walker there. Offensively wise, I think he's someone who's definitely coming on the defense side of the ball. If I'm the Lakers, I'm looking to keep him, but who knows what they're going to do. You know what I mean? And that's somebody that I think could maybe not run offense um, for you, but definitely has a guy, a guy that can go off. A guy that can be, you know, kind of be a, what's the word I'm looking for? The wild card I was bringing up, you know? Um, yeah, but but being the wild card while also being a little bit bigger, which I think the Nuggets yeah, are, are trying to go for exactly, here. Exactly, exactly. I mean, even I doubt. I mean, who knows what Brooklyn does? But maybe Seth Curry type. Seth Curry's undersized a little bit, but he's somebody who could marginally play the point guard position while being a guy who can create his own shot. At least is usually getting into a, into a jumper, but he can do that and he spaces the floor as well. And defensively, he still is capable. And I think. That's another play I'm looking there. I, I'm definitely skewing more offensively. Um, I like him. He's still a little in theory. I like the idea of that for sure. Um, and that's probably, again, those types of guys. Maybe even uh, Denny Avija, you know, a guy like that, you know, who not really the greatest of shooters, but brings some defense, can shoot a little bit, also brings some underrated playmaking as well. Um, definitely circ- circling Washington for a guy like that. Like, those, that's what I'm looking at primarily. Um, I don't know if a Jay Crowder gives the help that you need. I mean, he should be easily attainable, but obviously haven't been grabbed yet. Um, I'm not sure what, you know, they're actually, like, 
what exactly the Suns are looking for in terms of like a first round pick, a young player prospect, but like that could be something you do if you want to do Bones Highland. Um, another one I like, I mean, I like it sort of is, is, is I've seen this a few times, but Bones for Nas Reed. I think that definitely supplements your big man position. I just don't, I think it's a way, like, why would, why would Nas Reed want to be there? Because you, he wants more time. He's playing behind Rudy Gobert and then now he's playing behind Carly Towns. I mean, not Carly Towns, playing behind Rudy Gobert and Carly Towns when they're healthy. Been playing behind Rudy Gobert, and now he's going to play behind Nikola Jokic. I don't think that makes a lot of sense to me, but offensively, I can see a fit of a guy who could play the five, play the four, space the floor, rebound, like that sort of thing. I just don't know for the player why he'd be like, yeah, I'm going to stay here. And if you're trading bones for a guy who could leave, not sure that's a great idea. Yeah, and, and even some of the names you mentioned in Jay Crowder or Seth Curry, like, again, I think the, the salary matching becomes difficult pretty quick for, for mm. them. And, I, and I'd even considered, like, a deal where, yeah, if, if Denver's trying to figure out their, their backup center position, like, um, you know, bringing Mason Plumley back, who was, was a good fit, and they can still run a lot of those same dribble handoff options, even though he's nowhere near the player that Jokic is, but they can mm-hmm. at least continue the same offensive style with him as your backup center, which I think is, is, uh, is beneficial. But, yeah. you know, he's making around $9 million, and that gets difficult to match. That's a nice so, fit. I do like that. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm sure there are are people that uh, and and the the Denver front office can probably figure out ways to to get that to work, but that's something they could consider. But yeah, it's uh, it's it's all it's all kind of tough, and it all just goes back to that original question that I posed: that like you know, is getting rid of Bones and not really replacing him in terms of that shot creation and that explosive scoring ability. For another wing, does that actually make you better? Um, because, like, frankly, I think if, uh, you know, if, if that top six isn't healthy in the playoffs anyway, I, I, I don't really think they're, they're going to go anywhere. Uh, they're going to go all the way anyway. So it's, it's, it's a really interesting sort of conundrum that they have there in Denver. And it's a situation where you'd think it would be relatively easy to upgrade because as I said, that top six is good. It, it should be the, the easiest thing in the NBA should be to upgrade your seven through nine spots. Yeah. Fill in the margins. And sometimes you're right, especially since this fit is so unique, you know, you have a point guard who's really more of a shooting guard. You have a shooting guard who's more of a stationary small forward, right? Your center is really your point guard, right? Like it, it's the, it's the format. Your power forward actually, Aaron Gordon's probably the most quintessential, you know, power forward in the league right now, you know? Not the best shooter, but definitely puts the power in there. Versatile, can switch defensively. Like, he's probably the one guy who is fitting the role as traditionally slotted, right? At least traditionally slotted in the modern NBA, right? But everyone else is playing a role that's like a hybrid position. And so, you're right. Like, your top five mesh together in a unique way. But firing that six to eight, that not only are an upgrade on the players already on the roster, but also fit playing off of the other guys, what's going to make most interesting. So, I, I agree with you there. Um... You know, there's always every time that you have a trade package you like and you're like, you know what, that could work for everyone. That's a good idea. Like, this is something that I think pleases, you know, both parties, or at least I can sell it as one that does. You always get trades that don't. So I've asked you, what are your least favorite trade packages that you've seen, that you've heard? I mean, I haven't actually said, you know, Russell Westbrook for Jamal Murray or anything, but like, like what's one like that that you looked at? She's like, you know, I, I don't like that at all. That's, that's not really one I think is a prudent decision. Um, I mean, it, it, it largely revolves around bones again. Like if you're not getting a guy that, you know, if you're trading bones for the equivalent of like, 
you know, a tenth man, <laughs> even if the even if that guy is a more valuable position, I just don't really like the theory of that. And and again, like you know, I understand the hesitancy of them saying like, you know, is is Bones really ready to be a fifteen to twenty minute per game guy in the postseason? Like there are there are legitimate question marks about that, especially defensively. You know, that watching that. Uh, that Philadelphia Denver game where Embiid just went nuts. There was, there was a play in that game where the, the Sixers had the ball on the sideline with one on the shot clock. Right. And, and bones was, was guarding the minivan. And uh, they, they just had him run around the perimeter and bones just lazily, you know, wasn't staying attached and just lets him catch it and fire up a three. And he makes it as the, as the shot clock expires. And I can see how, like, Mike Malone, that, that just drove him crazy, right? Yeah, of course. Of and, that, course. and those plays like that drives him crazy. So uh, I understand, like, the the idea behind it. But, again, given the restrictions with, you know, Bones and what he makes, he's around $2 million. So it's hard to, it's hard to match a salary of a guy that plays a more valuable position. And the teams you're trading with, they know that you want a guy that plays a more valuable position, right? And like I was saying, if if that guy makes $2 million and he's of similar quality as a small forward as Bones is as a point guard, why would you make that trade? Exactly. And there, yeah, therein lies the issue. You're right. If it's a marginal move at best, what are we doing here, right? Yeah. And, and again, not only if that just makes you 1% better this season, is that worth you know, trading the upside of Bones in two or three years. I, I don't think so. I think you're right. I don't think so, especially with what he could become. And maybe you just say, do I mean, I don't know. Do you do you think the Nuggets get to a spot where they go, just deal with it? Like, this is what it is right now. You're going to be okay with it. We're going to we're have a chance to win a title. We'll explore moving in the offseason. Do you think that craters the locker room? Do you think that causes an issue that can't be, like, derails where they're trying to go this season? Like, what do you say if they're like, hey, you know what? This is just where we are right now, and this is this is the best thing to do uh, is not move you like like Kevin Durant with the Nets trade. Like we're not going to find adequate value for you, so it's not going to happen. I'm sorry, <laughs> at least not right now. Yeah, I, I think the the Nuggets culture that you know Malone and Jokic in particular have established there. I think it's strong enough. It's good enough that I wouldn't really worry about that. I I think they're they're. Um, their internal structure is sound and, you know, yeah, Bones probably would prefer to have a bigger role. I think uh, most players his age that uh, are playing limited minutes and sometimes get do not play coaches decisions. I, I think those guys do want to be uh, in a situation where they can really prove themselves and show what they can do. I think that's natural. Do I think he's in a situation where he's a locker room cancer like a Kyrie Irving? No, I, I, I don't think so. But um, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see how this all plays out, because, as you said at the beginning, there are a lot of rumors circulating surrounding Bones specifically. And you would have to imagine Denver again in the place that they're at. Um, if if there was ever a time to make a move that you feel can can further cement your ability to be the favorite to win the NBA championship, you, you should do it. Yeah. I mean, I agree completely. It's kind of just where the black and white of it. You're a team that right now is sitting, not, not sitting pretty in the Western conference, but you're in very good position to really have your best kind of pathway to the finals that you've had in the Nicole Jokic era. 
You know what I mean? Like, this is really it. The wide open West. Nikola Jokic is still playing at all-star level. Um, just, uh, well, not playing at all-star level. Forget that. Playing at MVP level, rather. Uh, as healthy of a season as you're going to get probably for right now between Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. You have role players that fit right now that might not be available. See Bruce Brown next season. So, you're right. This is kind of the, the, the path you should go is, is to take advantage of that and make a move that's going to make you better. And if that means not making a move because you have a good spot and just move around the margins and then do it just because someone's like, oh, I got to leave. No, like simple. Like, you know, that's just, just what it is. That's how you say, yeah, I like a trade. No. And <laughs> just say it's just like that. No, I'm playing. Don't do that. But the point being, I definitely think the Nuggets are in a prime position come trade deadline to evaluate the market, see what makes the most sense and kind of go from there. And that leads me to my last question for you, Garrett. What is your prediction for the Nuggets? Are they a team that is active? Reactive? Are they staying pat? I think they're going to be active. I think they're going to, and when I say that, that might just mean one or two seemingly sort of minor moves, but I think they're going to do something. I just don't know exactly what it's going to be at this point. But uh, yeah, I I think the front office rightfully believes they're, you know, one, one or two sort of minor upgrades away from being where they want to be. And uh, yeah, I, I have no reason to suspect they won't they won't try to actively pursue that. I don't know why I muted myself when I was going to speak right there, but no, I agree. I think that is one of those things where why not go for it? This is the best opportunity you're going to have. I just said that it's going to be the best opportunity you have to really go and and, and solidify yourself at the top of the West, right? Right now, Suns still kind of ailing. Um, Nuggets are, are, are right there at number one. You have, of course, the Warriors who are still struggling. You have the – I was going to say my Lakers. Ha, ha, ha. You have the Clippers who look good and quiet and, and PG are healthy. But even then, they can be beat. They look really mortal. They, look, they have to make some trades. They have to upgrade their center spot. Well, not upgrade, but back of their center spot. Upgrade their point guard spot. Deal with the, the lack of cohesion that they've been messing with. Like, there is a lot. You look at every team. Dallas Mavericks, like, aside from Luka, help. H-E-L-P, bold, but don't write on the mural because then your owner will get upset at you. Like, there are a lot of question marks for every team. You know, Pelicans, you know, look dangerous, but uh, let's see about getting Zion back healthy and Brandon Ingram looking like he did last year, right? Um, Look at the Grizzlies. Look good. Offensively, I don't know how they're consistently going to operate in a half-court structure with this team. I think there's less shooting on this roster than there were in years past. I think the injury risks or injury concerns are still a very real deal. And I think that they've been inconsistent. Like, they can pour off, you know, six straight wins and say that we don't fear anyone but the Celtics and then lose four in a row. Like, yeah, I, I, think, I, think, I think Memphis is in a pretty similar place as Denver where, you know, you can say, I like our, especially our top two or three guys. You know, I feel pretty good about our, you know, top five or six, but we need to, we could, we could make an upgrade for that seventh, eighth, ninth guy. Uh, and, you know, I think Memphis even has more, trade assets in as far as draft picks and stuff than Denver does to, to make something like that happen. So um, yeah, I definitely think given how open the Western conference is at the moment, you're going to be seeing some teams going for it. And you might even see some teams surprisingly that are right now, maybe in 11th, like the Pelicans that, uh, that might actually still be making some, some win now moves. Definitely agree with that. Definitely agree with that. 
It's going to be interesting to see. We got less than a week to find out. I'm so excited. Garrett, we're going to have to do a live trade reaction, something like that. Um, like I said, it's a day. I'm not going to say it on air because, you know, who knows who's listening. But it's a day I take very seriously. That's all I'm going to say. But, Garrett, my friend, this has been fun to get you back our retirement. And we kept it in a nice, tidy hour. Like, Real yeah, solid. That's short for us. That's yes, good. that is. That's, we... that's efficient. That is efficient <laughs> there we right go. there. That's what I'm saying. He's battling never left. This ain't 45, Jordan. This is 23, Jordan. We're gonna have a long <laughs> episode. We're gonna we're gonna have plenty more coming. I'm excited to get into it with you. But um, I mean, listen, we're getting you back. This has allowed me to reintroduce myself. This is your moment, Garrett. Let the folks know where they can find you, where they're gonna be able to find more of you. Like, we're here for it. Yeah, most mostly you can just find me on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and uh, I'll be, you know talking and, and tweeting about various uh, trade deadline stuff as well. And I've got a couple of, of non-basketball things in the works with uh, some, some end of 2022 year lists where I've got a, uh, I've got the best of TV from 2022. That'll be out on my blog. I'll post that. And then I've also got a, a best of uh, 2022 in video games podcast that I'll be releasing on Duncan dynasty. So then, uh, and that both of those will be out this week. So keep an eye out for that. The hair on the back of my neck just stood up at the words Duncan Dynasty. It has been too long, my friend. Garrett, thank you so much for coming on. I can't wait for us to hang back out. Literally, Tom's going to fly in a minute before we do that. Like, it's going to be quick, and Vegas will be great. I'm excited. Um, yeah, until then, man, listen, we'll be doing a lot more pods and talks and texts. We're back. We're back. Like, it's going to be great. But listen up. This has been an amazing episode, amazing time, as always. Definitely make sure to check out Garrett. Like, literally, one of the great basketball minds I know, hands down. Like, I got, like, three guys that are, like, in my head, like, like like that, that are great basketball minds, but also get my unique basketball mind. There's a difference there, okay? I'm sure there's plenty of others who don't understand it, but but Garrett is seriously one of a, uh, one of my dear friends, and I definitely appreciate him. So definitely check out his his work um, and have a conversation with him. He's really good. Um, also, Sports Ethos, check them out as well on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. Right now, still doing the fallout from the massive mock trade deadline that we did. Uh, every team has links with every move that they made and the money they had to work with and all that good stuff. So see the magic that Garrett was able to make happen. See what I was able to make happen. We'll talk about another episode with Garrett very soon. Um, but all of that is there for you as well as basketball, baseball, football content, fantasy football or fantasy sports, gambling, disc golf. That's the thing they have. it. so all of that, check them out there on Twitter at sports ethos online, SportsEthos.com. for myself. If you're so inclined to follow me on Twitter at Corbin NBA, do appreciate it. Any conversation, I'm there for it. Basketball, NBA, WBA, we know where it's at. So definitely make sure to do that. Um, and all of that being said, listen, it's time for us to make like an egg and break. Nope, that's not what I meant to do. We'll workshop it. Until next time, for Garrett, for myself, we are Frosty. Y'all stay Frosty, and I will talk to y'all. Bro.